Hello, my name is Donnie Smith, and I'm the pastor here at Ascension Christian Center in Apopka, Florida. I hope this message changes, impacts, and challenges you in your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you enjoy the message, you can connect with us on our website, Facebook, or Instagram at Ascension Christian Center. Thank you, and enjoy. We're going to be going to Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 17. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 17. One of the very first verses of Scripture that I learned to memorize verbatim as a young Christian reading this, but I got a download um, this morning of a new revelation in the Scripture. That's what I love about the Word of God. Each time you read it, you hit a new spring. It's like a well-watered garden whose streams do not run dry. Ephesians 6, chapter 6, verse 10 through 17. It says, put on the whole armor of God. Now, now that really stuck out to me. Verse 10 through 17. Did I skip 10? I'm going to read that again because I want you to catch this last part. This is why I'm being a little bit laborious and a little bit theatrical with this because I want it to stick. This is, I've read this for years and I never caught it. Put on the whole armor of? One more time. Put on the whole armor of? Most Christians put on their own armor. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand. Against the wiles of the devil, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Look at somebody and say, this is not a flesh and blood thing. But against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore. So this is how you stand. Having girded your waist with truth, which represents the word of God. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness, which protects your heart or your emotions. Above all, taking the shield of faith, which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take up the helmet of salvation, which is the sword, and Dean says sword, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. I'm not sure if they're going to have this, but then it also says to put on the sandals of the gospel of peace. Everybody say the full armor. Full armor. Amen. You may have your seats. When I think about the body of Christ, meaning the church, look at someone and say, he's talking about you. When I think about the body of Christ or the church at large, not just this church, in the predominant or mainstream denominations, Baptist, Lutheran, Presbyterian, all the frozen chosens, I'm kidding. I love my Presbyterians. I love them. Don't we like Presbyterians, Dean? We know some sweet ones. 
when I think about them, anytime I bring up scriptures like this, they squirm just a little bit because normally from, from most pulpits, unless you're a small church or a really spirit, spirit-filled church or spiritually hyped church, you don't hear much talk about the devil. And I, I kind of land on both sides, meaning I don't want to talk about the enemy too much because we don't want to... Gl- in other words, it's not bad to talk about him, but if you talk about him more than you talk about Jesus, we have problems. Okay, so we don't want to glorify the enemy. And I have been a part of movements in the church that glorify the enemy just a little bit too much. And But in, in mainstream denominations, if, if I talk about this... Uh, People get a little bit uneasy, and I think rightfully so, because we have to be careful about talking about subjects like this. And there are usually a couple different uh, types of people um, and a couple different approaches uh, that, that I use when, when, when dealing with this subject. But I want to talk about three different types of people. I want to lay some groundwork really quick. Is that okay? There's three different types of people when it comes to talking about the enemy. Okay, the posture that we take in our heart. Number one, there are people in this room, and I believe that all three or four are in here. There's people in this room who know that the enemy is at work. And and by the way, I have to say this. If you look at the world today, it's not, you don't have to be hyper-spiritual to know that there is a real enemy at work. Can we all at least agree on that? that? That there is real darkness if you've dealt with somebody who's bitter all the time or who's always um, fearful or has anxiety or addictions, it's not hard to look at those things. When you look at them long enough, you kind of can get a sense that there's something deeper here. I mean, maybe not over-spiritualize it, but there's something more than what meets the eye. Amen? Does everybody kind of feel that way? But there's those people who know the enemy is at work but are afraid to give any thought to it out of fear out of fear, because they don't want to disturb the hornet's nest, so to speak. Does everybody hear what I'm saying? Second people, I'm talking Christians, that there are people who deny that there is even a hell at all or the existence of Satan. I know that may come as a shock to you, but there are ministers in the world right now that preach that there is no hell, that there is no devil. And if you look at Jesus' life and ministry and how much he's mentioned heaven compared to hell, they're pretty comparable. If anything, he mentioned hell a little bit more than he did heaven. Why is that? Because he loves you and I so much. He, any good parent will warn their children when they're going the wrong way. Come on, you probably are just like that too. How many have teenagers in the room or have had teenagers or have young kids? You probably uh, warn them more than you reward them. That just dropped on me. That one's free. That one's free. Why is that? Because love without discipline or love without warning is not love at all. Because if you care about somebody's well-being, you will warn them. And so God, all throughout scriptures, is warning people that there is a real eternity, that people can live separated from me. And I truly believe this, that God doesn't send people to hell. People's choices send them there. Yeah, because God doesn't say, 
He does say, depart from me because I never knew you, but that's because you had a choice to make. I didn't want to know you, Jesus. A believer, let me just make this declaration before we even move forward. In order for you to be given over to a reprobate mind like the Bible talks about or to commit the unpardonable sin and to be eternally separated from Jesus, you have to say and take this heart posture and say something like this. I refuse to accept the finished work that Jesus accomplished on the cross. And one nanosecond after your heart stops beating, if you refuse that free gift of eternal life, you will spend eternity, unfortunately, apart from God. So the Bible talks about hell a whole lot. And then there's the third person. And I really don't like to hang out with any of these three people too much, at least theologically. That third set of people who demonize every single thing. If you sneeze, you got a sneezing devil. If you grew up in a Pentecostal church, you know what I'm talking about. I think there's a few of you out there. You who are laughing, see, my mom didn't. She grew up Catholic. She's like, they never said that in Catholic school. They just hit you with a ruler. They had a hitting devil. No, I'm I'm just kidding. I'm teasing. I'm in trouble after service today. But I want to encourage us as the people of God not to take any of those three postures, okay? You don't want to fall in any of those three brackets. I want to to encourage you on, on this first one, those people who are afraid of the enemy, they never gain victory in their life because they don't want to stir the hornet's nest. There was someone at my house yesterday, and uh, my friend Joseph was there when this happened. He's in the room, and they were playing, the kids were playing at the play set, and somebody ran over and they said, um, there's, a huge, there's a huge hornet nest over there. And so they ran away and came and got us. And then I brought my friend Joseph, and I was scared, so I got him. <laughs> and then he just went over there, and he just flicked all three nests down. There was no hornets on them. Isn't this just how the devil is? Fear, false evidence appearing real. The devil always wants to appear that he's more harmful than what he really is. And Joseph just went over there and flicked, I mean, grabbed him. And I'm looking at him like, you know, I would have done that too. He didn't give me an opportunity. You ran in front of me. And this is why most people are afraid to address the enemy in their life. If things are going wrong, they don't want to stir stir the hornet's nest. Because they don't want to get stung. They're afraid if they start binding and loosing and I rebuke you or I bind this. They're afraid that the enemy is going to attack them more. And there is some truth in that. And the second set of people who we just talked about, those people who deny that there's an existence of Satan, these people, uh, this is probably the greatest deception, I think, in the church of Jesus Christ. And to deny that there's an eternal place of punishment is uh, to reject Jesus's message and you cannot reject Jesus's message without rejecting Jesus Jesus is his message the word of God became what flesh and dwelt among us Jesus's message is Jesus that's third set of people that we talked about who demonize everything they talk about, about the devil more than they talk about Jesus, like we said a minute ago. If they get a flat tire, if they get a sneeze, or if they get a cold, everything and everything and anything is after them. And we, want to ta- we don't want to take any of these postures. Here's where I want to take a posture at, is let us not be those people who ignore that the fact that there is a fight. Because there is a fight going on. Say there's a fight going on. Yeah. 
let's not be the people who deny that there's even a fight that exists, meaning that there is a hell, that there is an enemy at work. And let's not the people who go looking for a fight, meaning demonizing everything. Let's not be any of those three brackets of people. But when, let's take this posture. Let's be a people who when the enemy shows up, let's simply do something. And this is a key this morning. Say it's a key. You know how I've been preaching the keys of the kingdom? Well, this is a, a huge key in the kingdom of God. If you're going to access all that God has for you, if you're going to walk into the promises of God, if you're going to experience everything that he desires for you and I, because did you know that you can love God and not experience his all? Did you know that? And it's not because he doesn't love you. It's because you can lack a certain key in a certain area in your life. There's a key to marriage. That's called the key of love. We'll talk about that later on. If you are experiencing maybe some financial hindrances in your life, one key, it's not always the key, but I would say it's a big one, is tithing faithfully. Don't worry, if you don't give, this church will survive. God has saw to it that that will happen. I say that absolutely lovingly. I'm just telling you about keys. There's keys to everything. And one key in God's kingdom is it is important that we do not retreat when the enemy comes in like a flood, attacks certain areas of our lives, not to retreat from the hornet nest. Amen? So today I want to talk about the key of pushing back. Say push back. Yeah, I want to say to you this morning, I'm going to preach for about 20 minutes. Whatever you're experiencing, I have heard dozens, I've heard from dozens of people in the past two weeks that have insurmountable things going on in their life. And maybe if you're that few, if you're part of that few percentage of people who has nothing going on in your life, I'm still glad you're here because you're going to want to save this message because you will eventually need it. And for those other 90% of people who this is going to apply for, I want you to apply to, I want you to do me a favor. Whatever it is that you're facing right now, do not retreat from the enemy. I don't care how hot it gets. I don't care how much trouble is around you. We have to take the posture of pushing back when the enemy comes in like a flood. And here's one other key. Do not push back in your own strength. Our strength comes from the Lord. I'm not talking about fighting physically. I'm not talking about talking back to your boss or trying to control your spouse. I'm not talking about physical or verbal strength. I'm talking about a strength within your spirit man. Pushing back in your spirit through prayer, through intercession, through reading the word of God, through applying the ABCs that we find in the word of God. This is how the believer fights. Because if physically fighting back or verbally fighting back in our situations would change our situation, our marriages, our homes, our children, our finances, come on, our our cubicle space at work would have changed a long time ago. But there is a way to push back in the kingdom. Say there's a way to push back. And I want to give you about four or five keys on how, on how you push back. Are you interested in, in, in having a few of those points? First of all, we have to recognize that there is a spiritual battle. That is a key. Because if you ignore that there is a hornet's nest, if you ignore that there is an enemy at work, the problem is, is most Christians grow passive and just hope if they sit there long enough in their situations, in their troubles, that God will feel compassion towards them and change their situation. 
I would love that that would happen, but how good would God be? How would he train us if we, if we were always rescued out of every single situation? Okay. Who has kids? Let me show your hand and see. Come on. Most. If you always did your child's homework for them, they wouldn't learn anything. You must have told your kids that the other day. If God always does your spiritual homework for you and rescues you out of every situation, you will not learn the lessons needed to go into the next season or for God to be able to elevate you. Because for him to elevate you too soon is to do it to your, to your uh, dismay. Because greater levels, greater, greater levels, that's right. So recognize that there, we are in a spiritual battle, that there is a spiritual war happening. I think a whole lot of people would get, I don't mean anything negatively by this, but I think there are a whole lot of people who are sick if they would take the posture of sick. I'm not demonizing everything, but there are some sicknesses that are from eating poorly or for, from neglect. There are, look, I don't have all these extra weight on me from you know, uh, eating salad and croutons and stuff, you know. Oh, there's too many croutons, she said. I'm like, honey, I am eating healthy. She said, you just put a quart of ranch on that. And then I'm over here binding calories. And the Lord's like, hey, look, you can't, you can't cast out something that you're putting in. Recognize there is a spiritual battle going on, but there are some sicknesses that are, that are contributed to spiritual things, meaning if mom had it or grandma had it, great-grandma had it. See, we've naturalized it, if that's a word, and we've said it just it's hereditary. Yes, it is hereditary. It's called a generational curse. Not every time, but many times in many circumstances. And this translates to emotional. I know gentlemen who've never met their fathers, and they said they do exactly what their mother told them the father did. With different women, with the same anger problems, the same propensities, the same sin uh, weaknesses. Come on. This is a spiritual thing. It's more than natural. And when we don't identify something spiritual, we can never manifest change in the natural. Yeah, you can get therapy, but many therapists do not help people cope spiritually with that matter. It's a spiritual matter. Amen. What we're seeing in the nations of the world right now is a spiritual matter. Yes, it causes worldwide chaos, all these things. There's natural things going on, power for control. Who do, you, who do you think is behind that? There's something, there's an emotion, there's something spiritual driving behind worldwide chaos. And that's because there is an enemy at work. And we cannot be ignorant to what's behind all of this. Ignorance is not bliss. Say ignorance is not bliss. I quoted this to someone the other day, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11. Least Satan should take advantage of us for we are not ignorant of his devices. To not recognize that there is a spiritual battle going on is to be ignorant. 
And we cannot be, you know, I grew up watching, who watched G.I. Joe growing up? I'm, I'm 37, so how many G.I. Joe fans did I have? Mr. Slaughter. I had the G.I. Joe and everything. Who remembers Mr. Slaughter? You remember him? He would say this, knowing is half. Y'all don't know it? Am I the only one who watched G.I. Joe? Knowing is half the battle. He looks like Captain Slaughter. Look. He would say this. It was in the commercial, the theme song. Knowing is identifying that we are in spiritual battles is critical. Okay, I'm going to give you something that happened this week. I called one of my really good friends, and I told him all these different circumstances that were happening in my own personal life. Many other people that I knew, somebody I can trust. And as soon as I said, we have to really pray. We have to pray for God's people. We have to pray for our friends and family. He said, brother, I'm going through the same exact stuff. In essence, he said that. As soon as he hung up the phone, he texted me a picture. He was walking into the doctor's office and the car comes right through the parking lot and rams two other cars. And there's like this mini little pile up inside uh, the, the, the uh, wasn't a drive-through, but a parking lot. And it just went to show me that this thing is spiritual. It hit his truck. It plowed through the parking lot and hit his vehicle. It didn't total it, but it did enough damage where it could possibly be thousands of dollars worth of damage. But just talking about the conversations of here's what's going on, and it's all over the body of Christ. Am I preaching to the right people here this morning? Is anybody besides me and everybody that I know going through things simultaneously? And I'm not talking about one thing, because if it was one thing, we could bypass it as we live in the world. We live in a fallen world. If it's two things, you can say, man, I'm just going through some things. But when we're talking about three or four things, when the dog's not doing well, when the children are acting up, when your finances are acting up, when people are talking about you behind your back that you trust and love, when there's people who are falling in the sin that you know were righteous people, how the enemy snare them. I'm talking about simultaneous things. When you're feeling the pressures of the enemy saying, give up because God is not good. When you're feeling like almost there's a spiritual probar crowbar behind you trying to take you out of God's will. This is called a spiritual attack. And we cannot sit by and be ignorant of, God, of the enemy's devices. We have to use the key in the kingdom. And that key is called pushback. I don't know about you, but I'm not going to sit by the by and by when, God, when the enemy is tormenting God's people or trying to wreak havoc in my own personal life or in the people that I love's life. I'm going to I'm going to push back. Come on, somebody say push back. Come on, am I preaching to the right people this morning? If you're sick in your body, push back. If, you, if, you, if, if you're being tormented in your mind, you push back. If you're being tormented in your finances, get on your knees and talk to God and push back. You people who are watching by live stream through Facebook Live this morning, whatever it is that you're going through where the heat of the battle is happening, don't retreat push back, push back. Look at somebody and say, push back. Listen, Satan's weapon, his greatest weapon is deception. That's his greatest weapon is to make one think it's something when it's not that to twist our thinking and to twist our perspectives. And if he can get you to buy into the lie that dark forces or the enemy does not exist, he's gained ground on you already. Did you hear what I said? That's his, he's, he is the deceiver. I will say it. I don't want to, but I will out of obedience. 
we have a room where we watch movies and um, we don't have a lot of time to watch movies because I'm only off three days a month, just three days a month. So when we do, which is normally a Friday night, can't afford to take the kids out. It's like $60 each time you go out. So we have a little place where we like to watch movies at the house. And, you know, I don't watch, this is no condemnation, okay? I don't personally watch rated R movies. Let me just tell you why, okay? It's not, this is, this is between me and the Lord. Everybody has their own convictions. And for crying out loud, the passion of Christ is rated R. So it's not that you, I'm not saying that you can't, but be wise. Look at somebody and say, be wise. Yeah, yeah. I made, a, I made kind of like a, a pact with the Lord, and, and I've stuck with this for the majority of it. If my kids can't watch it, I can't watch it. That, this is my conviction. And, and I have had family members who've come over and stayed the night, and they want to watch not even really bad things on Netflix. And they're in their teens, and it's clear that they go to their house or their mom and dad's house, and they watch things with a lot of cursing and different things like that. And um, I can be a little bit, some of y'all are smiling. Like, I just watched an R movie that had all kind of cursing yesterday. It's okay. We're gonna, we have a prayer line at the end. <laughs> I'm teasing. Um, I, I went up there, and I, and I heard it was either a word or I seen the movie, and I said, sweetheart, you have to, you have to, you have to watch something else here. And, and that, could, that could come over as being over-spiritual. But whatever you allow in the atmosphere of your home is just that, an atmosphere. Okay? And when you have children, little children, you're exposing their spirit. Your spirit is a sponge. It's a sponge. And it absorbs things. Okay, let me just make it practical. If you hear, there's a person who said, I never cursed a day in my life and I went to work at a warehouse. And he said, they all curse like sailors. In two months, I was talking just like them. Why is that? Because your spirit, man, you're learning behaviors. That's why the Bible says don't keep company with an evil man, at least you adopt his habits, right? And so there's something to be said. So I treat something to be said about what you allow in your eye gates and your ear gates because it will affect you spiritually. There was somebody who was in my home that I knew, and it was a family member, who had a lust issue. I'm going to just hit some things. Is this okay? Am I being a little too strong? There's somebody who had a lust issue. And I'm just being transparent. This person stayed the night. And I woke up with bad thoughts in my head. And I said, what is that? As soon as I cleansed the atmosphere, I walked in the atmosphere. Remember I was talking about the blood? I said, I plead the blood of Jesus over this atmosphere. I cleanse this atmosphere with the precious blood of the Lamb. He said we can bind and loose. I plead the blood of Jesus over my mind and my heart because I knew that was never my heart. That's not my personality. Listen, if you're struggling with something, start tracing your steps where you've been. Who'd you shake hands with? Who have you been around? What'd you watch last night? And you bind and you loose and you cleanse. Is this too heavy? And why do I say this? Because the pure in heart shall see God. You can love God and not see him. You can have a genuine love, but I'm, all, I'm really big into cleansing atmospheres, not because I'm trying to be hyper-religious, not because I want to be more spiritual than everybody else, but because I want to protect the atmosphere in my life so that it is conducive for the Holy Spirit to use me. Amen? And so I can hear from him and hear his instruction so that when I'm in situations in my life and I need instruction from him, I'm not cloudy. My spirit man is clean for the Lord to speak to. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? Say we're in a spiritual battle. 
And here's one of the biggest deceptions with, with certain Hollywood movies is that you think that those things that are, have a lot of spiritualism, spiritualism in them, you think it's harmless. It's quiet up in the Presbyterian church this morning. But the reality is, is that what you watch and engage into and you pay for to see, you're coming into agreement with that. It's a spiritual thing. It's a spiritual thing. I make sure that I don't engage or come into agreement with anything that doesn't agree with this book. I don't care what they say. I don't care who says it. I don't care if the president of the United States, listen, no president has ever in the history of the world made the world look like God's kingdom. And it's not the president that's going to do it. Can I tell you who's going to do it? The children of God who are going to start living out this thing until God's kingdom comes down and it starts looking like on earth as it is in. I respect all the presidents. I mean, I've, Abraham Lincoln, one of my favorites. But as you study history, all of us, all we've ever done is put high hopes in people who could not deliver. They made adjustments and changed the economy a little bit. Great, bravo. This will change your life. This Bible. You know what Bible stands for? Basic instructions before leaving earth. This is our instruction manual. You go and you put the kids' bicycle together. You look at the instruction manual, right? And then you, if you don't read it, you're wondering why you got three bolts left over and you're looking at it scratching your head. It's because you didn't look at the instructions. When you look at your life and it doesn't look like this Bible declares it to be, stop trying to put your life together yourself. Read this manual, this beautiful this living bread, this living word, and watch it not only change your life, watch it change your children, watch it change your marriage, watch it change you in your singleness. This thing has the ability to make a, a person who is, who's lived an impure life become pure and as white as snow. This thing has the ability to take a person who slept on a floor for 20 years because they couldn't afford a bed and put you on high, not to just where you have something, but you have enough to give. Come on where you can get, give out of an overflow of your life. It can take any messed up life. As someone said, if your Bible is falling apart, your life probably is not. That's good. That's worth a hand clap. Number two. Number two, expect. Expect a fight. To be a child of God and not to expect that there is going to be a fight on the way to your destiny is a foolish thing. Expect a fight. Expect a fight, Rick. There's a lot of promises over your life. Expect it. When you have a giant destiny, you will struggle sometimes here. You will hear those lies. Give up. Throw in the towel. If it was going to happen, it would have happened a long time ago. If God was good, I love that one from the enemy. Not really, it's total sarcasm. I love that one. If it were going to happen, or if he really loved you, you know he wouldn't have allowed that. He wouldn't have taken that. You know what I'm learning? God takes. He does. Job said it. God gives and he takes it away, doesn't he? But here's what I found out. If you let him take it, he takes it so he can bless it and give it back to you more than what you lost. 
more than what you lost. He takes. He took Jesus. And guess what he got back? Guess what he gave back to Jesus? A bride. A world full of believers that are going to be his bride one day. We are the bride of Christ. We're the body of Christ. Everybody knows that, right? We're going to have a wedding feast in the book of Revelation. It talks about every believer is his bride. Yes, for you tough males too. I know that was hard for me too. I see some of you tough guys out there. We are the bride of Christ. So he took Jesus, and guess what he gave him back? A world full of believers, two billion of them on the earth. For some of you, he took a child. I know I was sitting in the front row when we lost. We named him Wyatt. I just had started pastoring. This was six years ago. I was an associate pastor. I was on the front row. We had to be in the third service, and we lost the baby. And I was like, God Almighty. I said, man, I've been through enough. You know, my dad had been taken. My dad was murdered. I went out through all these things. I haven't shared this much. And I said, Lord, don't do that. And I remember I had to rush my wife to the hospital. And I, I come around the corner. I didn't tell her that night. I came around the corner, and uh, I seen a picture of Jesus. And he was holding just a little baby. And I'm not saying that God takes everything from us. But it's, sometimes it's more about just giving him and not, and not understanding, not needing to understand. And I really believe this. What you're willing to offer up to him and say, Lord, the Lord giveth, the Lord take away. At the end of Job's life, when he gave up and offered all that, and maybe, maybe that for you is a dream a child who's wayward, prodigal son, prodigal daughter, a relationship with somebody that you really, really love, and no matter how much you try to engage in that relationship, it just won't mend. Maybe you got to offer that. He is a taker, but he does it with the intention of blessing what you give and giving it back. Do you remember? Do you remember when, when Abraham was told by God, you're going to have a son, He's almost 100 years old, and he, his wife gets pregnant. And as soon as the little boy is born and Abraham develops an affection for his young teenage or preteen, God says, if you really love me. Isn't it funny how God only asks you, he only asks of you what you dearly love. And he asked him for it, and he raised the knife. And God stopped him and said, I know that you truly love me because you're willing to give it. And now we know Abraham in the Bible as being the father of many nations. What you're willing to give up determines what you're going to get. Amen? Expect to fight. Expect, expect the enemy to fight that which is dear to you. For some of you, that's a relationship. For some of you, that's a career. Can I tell you a secret that I've never told publicly? Maybe I have. The guy who murdered my dad, I carried his, their names. There was three names. I was a heathen. I was a pretty good heathen too. Matt will tell you. And I was, we were physically violent. That was our thing. You know, we fought growing up. And I carried those names in my wallet. 
and they were, the, the names were faded, but I could still make them out. And I said, if I ever seen these people, can pastor be real with you this morning? I carried a lot of bitterness in my heart. And I said, if I ever saw them, I was going to take their life. True story. And I remember I couldn't get filled with the Holy Spirit. I kept asking the Lord, fill me with your spirit. Fill me with your spirit. It'd be like crickets. Everybody be in the prayer lines, falling down, receiving the Holy Spirit, getting breakthrough. Everybody's happy in their relationship with Jesus. I'm like, I've given you everything. I've given it all. I even go to church three and four days a week. And he said, I want what's in your wallet. And it wasn't money. It was names of people I had been carrying for years. A believer. God will always ask you, and listen, what you give up will determine what you get. If you're feeling under the weight of oppression this morning, if you're feeling like you're under some kind of a spiritual attack, if you're feeling like the weight of the world is on your shoulders this morning, when it seems like everything that can go wrong is going wrong, it's not just one thing, but maybe it's three, four, five different things simultaneously. When you're feeling that anxiety come against you, it's a sure sign. It's a sure sign that you're disappointing the enemy because the enemy only attacks what is valuable. Do you know one of the greatest things that boxers in particular do with their opponents? It's not, it's not a matter of strength, physical strength. It's a matter of intimidation. That's how Mike Tyson won so many titles. He would intimidate them by his eyes, by his behaviors, by his dispositions. This is what the enemy does. When the enemy is tormenting you, telling you to give up, walk out on God, throw in the towel, it's not going to happen for you. You're over 50. It's not going to happen. If it was going to happen, it, it would have happened a long time ago. When the enemy is telling you, you need to you know, get out of school, this is, you're not really going anywhere. If he's telling you to give up on that business that it's been five years, been six years, still not going anywhere, listen, this is a sure sign. It's a confirmation that the enemy's, that, that because the enemy is at work, he's trying to get you to forfeit your destiny. Amen? And that's, in those moments is when you have to have grit. It's when you have to hold on to the promises of God. And to not expect those fights is foolish. Say, expect a fight. Number three, I love this one. And we're going to end in just a moment. Push back with your words. This is how we push back. Everybody go like this. Say, the key of pushing back. I have to use my words. Come on, say it. I have to use my words. What do I mean by that? Proverbs 18, verse 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. Listen, when Jesus was in the wilderness, how many remember he was in the wilderness? Matthew chapter 4, Jesus goes through major temptation. He's going through the wilderness, and the enemy comes to him and says, if you be the son of God, turn these stones into bread. What did Jesus do? What did Jesus fight back with? Words, but whose word? God's word. We fight with God's word. And when we talk about this scripture, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and I've been really convicted, even when negative situations are happening, I have to fight the temptation not to complain about it. 
And I have found out the more I exacerbate it, the more I hash it out and complain about the situation, the more empowered that situation becomes in my life. Jesus didn't, when he was going through that wilderness experience, when he was going through those three major temptations, how many remember the temptations? The temptations of eating physical food instead of continuing to fast out of obedience. Jesus doesn't start quoting his own word. He starts quoting the word of God. He pushed back with God's word. God's word is spirit and it is what? Life. Yeah. Jesus said this, my words are spirit. His words are spirit and they are life. And so when your situation doesn't look like God's word, speak the word. Don't speak your own word. You, you understand? There's certain things that God responds to. And he does not respond, unfortunately, oftentimes, not our complaining. God does not, some of you dads in here, or moms, there is a right way and a wrong way for your children to approach you. Am I right? And all the teenage parents said amen. When they come to you and say, can I get that? That's how we learn in the hood. Can I get, can I get a sandwich, mom? Come on, some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Okay, for the Caucasian folks, <laughs> give me a sandwich. Give me, it's all about the way that they said it. And she said, you better come to me correct. See, that's how the way we talked. Or are you missing something? What do we say? Please. Because there are certain things that your parent will respond to and certain things that they won't. God doesn't respond to certain languages we use. You hear what I'm saying? I'm going to tell you what he responds to. There's two major things. Number one, he responds when you remind him of his word. There's certain things that God likes, and there's certain things. I know you may have never thought about it like this, and there's certain things he doesn't like. There's certain songs that bring the presence of God, and there are certain songs that will not bring the presence of God. Me and my friend Angelique, we talked about this. She's here, by the way. Hallelujah. She's in the house this morning. I see. Praise God. Y'all can love on her after service. Praise God. We, we talk about we don't want me-centered worship. And I'm okay with a few bless me songs every now and again because God does want to bless you. But I've learned this about God's character. When we talk about him and when we talk about the blood of Jesus, when we talk about the cross, which I used to not do a whole lot about, he all of a sudden begins to come. It doesn't matter whether or not I like it or not. All that matters is that heaven responds. It doesn't matter if you feel like saying certain things to your situation. What does it matter as long as the situation changes? That situation will change when you don't use your word, but you use God's word. I said when we use God's word. Because it's not about what we say. It's about what he says. Can I make that, can I make that practical? I know instead of just rehearsing and saying, this situation needs to change in Jesus' name. Find a Bible theme. Find something like the life of Joseph and begin to speak exactly what applies to your situation. Do you see what I'm saying? So if, if, you're, if, you, if your situation looks crooked and it's messed up and you've got people backbiting behind your back and you want to talk about them, quote what Jesus quoted 
and say he went to the, to the slaughter and he not, did not open up his mouth. Now, that's too heavy for you. You remember Jesus was going to get led to the cross and he didn't open his mouth. He, they reviled, but he didn't revile in return. Speak that over yourself. When you're tempted to speak bad about somebody who's speaking about you, do what Jesus did. If you do what Jesus did or you do what the disciples did, you'll get what they got. But if we speak about our negativity, it exacerbates the situation and it magnifies. We have to speak God's word. Say, speak God's word. Yeah. Yeah, this, all this nursery song, you know, rhymes, sticks and stones will, you know, break your bones, but words will never hurt. That's a lie. They lied to us. Somebody ought to kick that person in the shin, whoever wrote that song, because it's not true. Because truth be told that the reason some of us have emotional issues and are having trouble in our marriages is because it was because of words that daddy spoke to you or mom spoke to you and you still haven't forgot since elementary school what your teacher spoke over your life because words hurt and words do matter and so therefore we have to speak the word of God. Listen, if your children aren't lining up, begin to speak who they are. If, if complaining about what they're doing is not working, my God, start saying you're obedient. My daughter had been doing things out of order, and I said, thank you for listening to me. I started saying that when she wasn't listening to me, and guess what she started doing? Listening to me. Thank you for being obedient, even though she wasn't being obedient, and she started to be obedient. Thank you for going in the room and doing your devotional when I don't have to ask you five times, son, and he'll go in the room and do the devotional. Speak those things that be not as though they were. Let the weak say that I am strong. Even if God doesn't feel like he's doing good, keep calling him good. And I guarantee you this will get heaven's response. When I don't feel that God is being good to Donnie, you know what I say? Thank you, Lord, that you are good. And then he starts discovering something about me that he already knows. Maybe he just wants me to know. That I'm not after his pocket. I'm after his heart. And that he's good whether things are going my way or not. And he, let me tell you something. He is good whether it's going your way or not in this season of your life. He's still on the throne. He's not wringing his hands. He has a will for your life. He has a plan. He has a plan. He has a plan. And he has something to resolve that thing that's weighing heavy on your heart this morning. Can you stand to your feet? Are you getting something out of this this morning? This is a very critical thing that I'm about to mention this morning. Probably the, the most important element of pushing back. We have to push back. I'm talking about keys here. I hope you're putting these keys in your pockets because you're going to need them. This by far, Rick, is the most needed key in the body of Christ right now is the key of pushing back in your mind. This is where it all happens here. It's where the lies or truth comes. Say, push back in my mind. I want to read 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4 through 6. It says this, for the weapons, say weapons. Watch this. For the weapons of our warfare, they're not carnal. Carnal means humanly minded 
They're not carnal, but they're mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. In other words, if something passes through your mind that does not speak to the character of Christ or lines up in this word, you have every right to pull it down. How do you pull it down? By speaking. How do you pull it down? By casting down those thoughts. And I'll give you some practical tools for that in just a moment. So casting down arguments and high things that exalt itself against the knowledge of God. What do we do? Bringing every thought into captivity into the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. In other words, when I start feeling, when I start feeling insecure, I told you I don't like preaching in front of people. When I start feeling inadequate, do you know what I start doing? I'm just trying to make it very practical. I take that thought about myself and I force it. I, it's like I take that thought of my inadequacies and I say, I am a child of God. I am fit for the task. I'm the head and not the tail. I have something to give. Some of you don't feel adequate at the job you're at right now. You would have never been promoted to that position had God not thought you were fit for that task. God would have never gave you them children. I know it's hard and you want to scream their head off. And Do they still give spankings these days? I don't know. And you think you, think you shouldn't adopt it or you shouldn't have, you shouldn't, you're not fit to be a mom or you're not fit to be a dad because you come out of character sometimes. God would have never gave you those kids if he didn't anoint you for the task. Some of you, when you run across people in the grocery store, you feel insecure and you feel, I won't have a word for them. Go put yourself out there and watch God step in front of you. He anoints. Reinhardt said this. He said, God will save. Oh, you want me to do his accent? God will save a man out of the deepest pit. That was pretty good, wasn't it? But he will not save you out of your easy chair. You're fit for the task. Fit for the task. Fit to fight that cancer. Fit to be a spiritual leader. Fit to run that business. Fit to raise them teens. Fit for the suffering that you're finding yourself in right now. You're fit for it. God wouldn't have trusted you to suffer like that had he not given you the grit and the spiritual capacity and the fortitude to go through it. I have a friend, close friend. His daughter, before she was even three years old, had 10 surgeries, heart surgery, brain surgery, the whole thing. I remember them asking me, should we abort before she was born? I said, no. I said, no, we shouldn't. We, you know, we prayed through it. He, he kept her, and he's in a place of not maybe understanding everything. And he had not really suffered a lot in his life. He, everything seemed to go well. His career, I always felt inadequate getting around him. He's educated, smart, all of that stuff. And you know what? The Lord, it just came out of my mouth. And he said, you know, I don't understand this. I said, you know, God gave you this child because he trusted that you could suffer well for him. I know that's hard and heavy for some people, but we think that God, we're just here for God to bless us, but there is a level of suffering that every believer will go through. Why? You, you cannot understand Jesus 
you cannot understand the fullness of Jesus. Many want to understand. I wasn't intending on doing this. I just saw it over there. Plus, I'm the pastor. I can do what I want. No. Many people want to experience the resurrection, the blessing. I've experienced that. Salvation. New car, new shoes, blessing, the head and not the tail, above only, not beneath. Given it shall be given unto you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. Man given unto your bosom, lender, not borrower. All that resurrection stuff. I experienced that. He said, that's great, son. You've experienced all that I all that I died for, but if you really want to know me like you've prayed, there's one other side of this thing. The side of suffering. If we suffer with him, we'll reign with him. Listen, you cannot fully know Jesus unless you've experienced his sufferings as well. And listen, everybody that's listening to my voice right now, Catherine Kuhlman said this, every minister, every man, every woman, in their life they will go through something or some things that will test their faith and it might be in the beginning I know my friend Dean was on a high mountain the first 10 years I was jealous I wanted to like flatten his tire or something like Lord give him something to go through <laughs> go through nothing but blessing that's all he went through I was so jealous I was over there suffering I'm like I'm going to flatten his tire his tires don't get flat. He's like the children of Israel. Shoes didn't wear out. Clothes didn't wear out. 40 years in the wilderness. He was all good. I'm like, Lord, if you ain't going to make him suffer, maybe I'm, gonna, I'm called to. How are you going to have me suffering over here? And then all of a sudden, all those years of you experiencing the resurrection, Christ. We often forget that there's a backside to the cross. And that's suffering. And I'll tell you this. At some point in all of our walks, whether the beginning, the middle, or the end, some people go through it at the beginning. Mine was at the very beginning, the loss of my father, the loss of a child. Lots of different sufferings, emotional sufferings. Now I'm getting to experience finally a little bit of resurrection. But I got a feeling that all of us, to some degree, will experience both sides of the cross. And it's a bittersweet one. But I want to tell you this, that whatever you're going through this morning, one of the keys of going into the next level is pushing back. But I want, I want you to hear this part. With all the pushing I want you to do, all the prayer and all the fasting and getting out of, you know, pushing through, binding the enemy, do all of that. But make sure you're not binding something that God has put you in. Make sure you're not binding the teacher who's trying to teach you something, allowing you to go through. How would you know he's a healer unless he heals you? How would you know he's a God who supplies all of thy needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus? How would you know that unless you were broke and he came through for you financially? Only then can you know him as provider. 
How can you know the scripture is so real to you, like the air you breathe, unless you go through traumatic situations in your life and you're troubled and you feel anxiety? How would you know he's a comforter unless he stepped into that situation and comforted you supernaturally? We get to know his resurrection power by him saving us out of difficult situations. We get to know he's a prospering God when he prospers us, when we know it wasn't our education that prospered us. When we know it wasn't just, you know, just by happenstance that he gave us peace when we should be troubled in our minds. Amen? Listen, there's one last little key, and I'm closing, I promise. It's one way we push back. And this is an encouragement to all of you, okay? Never start a fight. When you're pushing back in that situation in your life, never start it. Never go binding and loosing and looking for trouble spiritually. Never do that. Look at somebody and tell them that. Never do that. Don't start the fight. But listen, here's what God is raising up right now in this hour. When the fight comes, and I, and I, I, and I give you this charge. I'm a minister, so I can, I can ordain, okay? So I'm ordaining you informally. Don't ever start the fight, but when it comes, when sickness comes, when trouble comes, and it will, when difficulty comes, when hardship comes, finish it. Finish the fight. How do we fight? God's Word. When I read that earlier, how do we fight, Angelique and Tony? There's only one piece of the armor that's non-defensive. That's only offensive. All the rest of the armor, the helmet of salvation, belt of truth, all of those things, sandals of the gospel of peace, they're all defensive. But there's one that is offensive. And how do we fight back? How do we push back? The word of God is the sword of the Spirit. It's the sword. Careful to cut you. This is how we fight. This is how I fight my battle. Last revelation. Put on the whole armor of God. Put that on. Put that on the screen. Put on the whole armor of God. Can we put that up on the screen quickly? Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. Say the whole armor of God. My brothers were big, a lot bigger than me growing up. Not so much now. When I would go to school, I went to a predominantly African-American school. I went to Carver, so I got beat up a lot. It didn't happen a long time, but that's where you learn to fight. Don't, you know, anyway, it's another. But when I would bring my brothers, nobody would bother me. This is where people mess up. Put it back on the screen. Put on the whole armor of God. I used to steal their shoes all the time and their clothing. 
God is the only one who's not bothered by you taking his clothing. Many of us are losing our battle because we're wearing our own armor. But when you put on God's armor, this is how you, la- this is how you last. This is where you get the longevity. Putting on his armor, God's armor. Do you think the devil will start a fight with God? Think about that. When's the last time you heard the devil picking a fight with God? Never. You ever heard of the devil picking a fight with God? No, he goes to the little brother, the body of Christ. That's what the devil does. He goes to the body of Christ, the little brothers or the little sisters. Are you tracking what I'm saying here? But when you truly have on the full armor, unfortunately, most people just put on the helmet of salvation. Or they might have the breastplate on, but they have other areas exposed. It's important that we put on the whole armor of God. Why is this important? I'm talking about pushing through. Here's how you push through. is when you dress in this full armor, we'll talk about that later, you, that armor will make you look like, let it sit for just one second. It'll make you look like God. You remember when I was talking about in Jesus' name and the blood of Jesus? Why am I saying all that? Because the only reason we are given access or given authority is under Jesus' name. Why do you think you pray in Jesus' name? Because you can't go to God on your own accord. You go to him in Jesus' name. So when you're fighting the enemy, do not go in Ken's name. Donnie's name. Priscilla's name. Steve's name. Do not go in your own name. You go. Oh, thank you, Holy Ghost. Thank you, Holy Ghost. Give me some juice back there. Listen to this. This is why many of you are losing the battle right now. Because you're doing it in your own name. You're doing it in your own armor. And when the enemy knows you're doing it in your own strength and in your own armor, this is why he's giving it on the chin. Because he will not pick a fight with God. So, Go in Jesus' name. This is why they could the seven sons of Sceva couldn't cast out those demons. They went in Paul's name, who preached Jesus. They didn't know Jesus themselves. Come in Jesus' name and in God's armor, because if my brother put on, if I had some armor, big, bulky metal armor, or I had somebody my same build, had the same silhouette and I put that armor on, or they put my armor on, and you looked at them, you would think that's me. Most of the body of Christ is going in their own name, and they're fighting in their own armor instead of putting on the armor of God that God wears. And this is why the enemy is attacking many of you. Do not go in survival mode trying to fight in your own strength. Fight in Jesus' name and fight in the full armor of God. And guess what? Pretty soon, and I prophesy this by faith over every one of you, in the middle of the fight that you're fighting right now, in that difficult situation that you're in, I prophesy right now that God's going to so strengthen you and raise you up as an armor bearer, not just an armor bearer, but somebody who looks like him, come on, walks like him, so that when the enemy comes to try you and he's looking for God's kids, you got that armor on to where the enemy's going to look at, oh, nope, that's Jesus. Can't mess with her. Oh, they, he doesn't understand who's under the armor. You have the armor of God. He doesn't know who's under there. 
He doesn't know that deep down inside you feel weak and frail, but you're not fighting in your own strength. You're fighting in God's strength. He doesn't know that that's not God's armor and who's under there. Come on. And Lord, I pray that for each and every one as we close. Lord, teach your people that the key to victory is not going in their own name. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope this message impacted you today. If you'd like to support Ascension Christian Center, simply go to ascensionchristiancenter.com and click the gift tab or text ACCFL to 77977. Interested in hearing more? Check back weekly for new messages. Have a great day.